Hi, this is Contrera, the host of Beyond Beckdale, which you probably know if you're listening to this podcast. At the moment, I'm in the process of developing season three, and hopefully I'll be able to launch a whole slew of episodes at one point, which will be interviews and discussions with some really interesting people, uh, continuing our theme of film and feminism. But in the meantime, I thought, oh, content is king. Maybe I need to get some new content out there for our listeners. And I wondered whether a lot of listeners these days might not want to spend one and a half hours on a podcast at one point and they might stop something and then get out of the car or stop walking or stop listening or get on with family life. And I didn't want to add to anybody's commitment so I thought oh maybe I can make some small vignette podcasts of around 15 minutes length uh, and churn them out more frequently where I talk about things that I've seen in the media landscape where they've either really really annoyed me or really made me happy about the portrayal of women on screen and the good news is, is there are lots of things I see all the time lots of positive things there are of course many many negative things um, and sometimes I think it's worth pointing these things out because maybe listeners won't have thought about something as being discriminatory or a stereotype and so that's what I thought I'd do and I thought I'd call this uh, small subsection of podcasts um, Loathe Like Love. I've also very excitingly um, redesigned the Beyond Bechdel website and we have a proper domain now, beyondbechdel.com. So that's B-E-Y-O-N-D-B-E-C-H-D-E-L. And on there are uh, all of our previous podcasts, some blog posts and stories, information about us, me and the guests. Also information about the other work that people do to support women in the film and TV industry and I wanted to make sure it was wrapped in a pretty package. Something I learned about the new website when I was making it is that it can also host podcasts. So I'm going to host our Loathe Like Love episodes exclusively on beyondbagdale.com. So now I've done all the housekeeping, here is our first Loathe Like Love. As With most things in my life, I'm a person that likes to get the bad news before the good news. Um, So in terms of the bad news first, I'm going to talk about something that maybe I don't quite loathe, but that gave me a prickly feeling when I listened to it. Um, I regularly listen to the Directors Guild of America DGA podcast, and they have interviews with all sorts of directors, um, some really, really famous, uh, often interviewed by other directors or famous people within the industry. And it really is a way of finding out how the other half live for people who, like me, want to make films and are doing it on a very much smaller scale. One of the latest episodes of the DGA podcast uh, involves a roundtable with a number of episodic TV directors and the panel is pretty cool. It has uh, male and female directors and people of colour are represented. I wouldn't say it's perfect but this is a good step in the right direction Um, and 
one of the questions asked by the moderator was, was there any setback that the directors had in their careers where um, they didn't know what they were going to do and didn't know how to handle it and how did they overcome that? Which I think is always a really great question to ask directors because it seems like such a hidden insular world and once you're in, you're in for good. And... Um, the most telling insight I found from listening to different directors answer this question was that directing as a career is not something that everybody does full time. Uh, more than one director talked about how they were out of work for one or two years and I can imagine that is incredibly stressful when so many other jobs pay employees a monthly wage so that they can pay their bills and put food on the table um, and it also probably explains why directors are paid so much because if you get a lot of money and you think wow I have 500,000 pounds or dollars um, and then you don't work for a couple of years maybe that isn't quite so much although I'm sure it's not like the rest of us who have jobs where we don't get paid that much and would definitely be able to make it last um, Nonetheless, it must be stressful not to work for a couple of years. So a male director called David Nutter and a female director called Michelle McLaren, who both have pretty popular work and have worked on uh, massive shows in the States, both answered this question, which was what happens when there was a setback. When Michelle answers this question, she talks first about meeting Mimi Leader, who is a pretty famous Hollywood producer. And her story starts off quite positively. She talks about having not many credits and Mimi effectively and, doing her uh, a favour. Well, I was a very new director. I had I had <laughs> one credit to my name, The X-Files. And uh, I decided, I knew that that I was never going to look at, be looked at for the Emmys or anything. But I thought in those days, they send out VHS tapes and it cost a lot of money. And I paid a lot of money to, to send my VHS tape out. Because I thought maybe people that have shows, maybe producers will watch it and I might get hired. And Mimi Leader watched it. And mm -hmm. I had one, one credit to my name and she hired me on her new show, John Doe. So things are all going well for Michelle and she finishes working with Mimi Leader and then nothing. She doesn't work for a while and so she has to take the work when she gets it and she gets a job at ABC Family where she's supposed to be directing two episodes of a TV program. And then I was doing a family show and I was supposed to do two episodes uh, for ABC Family and after the first episode I was replaced, I was fired. And the showrunner and I didn't really connect creatively and I was devastated. I had very few credits to my niece. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? And what went wrong? And I remember I talked to my dad about it. And he said, well, what did you do? And I said, well, we were a runaway train about to hit a brick wall. And I, I spoke up about it. And he goes, well, next time, are you going to speak up about it or let the train hit the wall? And I'm, I said, well, I'm going to speak up about it. He goes, could you do it differently? And I realized, yeah, I could do it differently. I needed to see who this particular showrunner was and understand that I wasn't a producer on the show and I needed to communicate it differently. It was a very valuable lesson for me. So my hackles are a bit raised here at this point already because I think, oh, her dad goes, what did you do wrong? Which is such a typical parent response to their child. 
But of course, we are responsible for our own actions. And what Michelle says kind of makes sense. She didn't approach it in the right way. And she needed to think about the people she was working with and approach it in a way which didn't lead to creative differences. However, it does speak to this idea that women have to mould themselves into the right shape in order to fit in with the world when instead I think a man in this situation might not necessarily think okay what can I do to change myself. The good news is there's a positive end to this story. Michelle gets offered a mystery new job a little while later and she doesn't exactly know how she got it and so she's on set and she starts asking questions because she wants to know. And it was over Thanksgiving and uh, we were shooting and then we came back from Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. And I said to the executive producer, for Thanksgiving, and he said, oh, Mimi later. And I said, oh, I know Mimi. And he goes, I know you do. That's why you're here. So basically, the moral of the story there was Mimi Leader helped her earlier on in her career, and she'd done a good job, and Mimi had remembered and suggested her for another job. And it didn't matter that Michelle had a setback in the other job where she didn't get on with the people on set because she was still remembered before. Now, let's look at David Nutter's answer to the question. Mine, I, mine wasn't a failure. It was actually a wrong circumstance and a wrong person got blamed for it. Now, let me stop him there immediately. I find it fascinating that he didn't want to admit to any kind of failure and instead he wanted to shake up the story so it was a narrative that he felt more comfortable with. Whereas Michelle completely owned her failure now these are two different people gender might not have anything to do with it but I was already struck with the way he tells the story of what happened to him let's hear more I have uh, been very fortunate I directed a little bit of a movie with Don Johnson back in Miami he got a lot of critical acclaim I came to Los Angeles and I waited and wanted to direct and I was reading for reading for, for corp, uh, uh, producers and and everybody you can imagine and I just couldn't get a job anywhere so I went and played golf. And, uh, yep, you heard right. Even the moderator laughed at that. He went and he played golf. I happened to play with Patrick Hasberg, who created the TV show 21 Jump Street. And we played 18 holes of golf. He says, let's go to the 19th hole, we had a beer. And he, he asked me lots of questions. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Because I, I lost all hope at that point. And the next day... Uh, Patrick called Steve Beers and said, I want to hire David Nutter to direct an episode of the show. And he said, well, Steve Beers said, well, we can look at this movie, we'll talk. And he said, no, hire him. So I got that job. And six months later, I got the job and got married and the whole thing. My life was starting out. And then they said, you're going to come back in September. And I, I didn't get called back. I kept saying, what's the problem? What's the problem? What's the problem? So a year, two years goes by and all kinds of things about my agent and all that kind of stuff that you don't hear about. I did, but I didn't really call the producer directly, and I should have. Because once the agent, uh, I left my agent, then the doors opened very well for me. It was fantastic after that. Look, I don't want to disparage David Nutter. He is a successful and very good TV director, and he's just telling a truthful story. But I find it so interesting to compare this to Michelle's story. In this story... David doesn't really take any personal responsibility for anything. And it could well be that he just couldn't get the work. It's clearly very difficult to get consistent directorial work in episodic TV in Hollywood. But at the same time, he was able to get a job because he played golf with someone. And that person then immediately called up someone because they had some sway and got him work, which is something which just 
isn't available to everybody and could be luck but also I would say that golf courses and golf clubs in America particularly are still very much the domain of men rather than women. Um, There are plenty of women that play golf, I'm not saying this at all, but there are definitely some old-fashioned country club rules, which for all I know are still in effect in certain places in the world, which say you can't have women members of a club. So um, the fact that he doesn't kind of acknowledge that he's very lucky to even have this opportunity, uh, I find interesting. And then later he skips over the fact that he doesn't work for two years, which must be really, really difficult, as I said earlier, and then talks about not having the greatest agent. And again, could be true as well. He probably didn't have the best agent, which is why the work came to him later. But I, again, compare these two stories in terms of the way the story is told. These are real life events, but we can definitely put a spin on things to either make ourselves the hero within the story or perhaps a third party observer or the villain in the story or the person with the most responsibility. And it seems to me that in both cases, the same thing happened, which was someone did some good work, nothing happened for a while through no fault of their own. And then someone remembered the work that they'd done, found them and hired them again. And it seems to me pure luck you've had some credits but the way this is told by David and by Michelle shows you two completely different versions of the same tale. Now to talk about something that I love. Um, I'm going to play a clip and it's not a very nice clip but um, sometimes the things I love are the things that tell it exactly how it is and that's why I love them. And this is about I May Destroy You, which I have mentioned on other um, parts of the podcast and lots of other people are talking about, but I don't think that there can ever be enough spoken about this show because I just find it transformational and so real, so truthful in a world which I think is kind of full of opinions and fake news. Michaela Cole has just created a masterpiece. My actual favourite thing about the show is the last episode, but I know that, particularly in America, uh, viewers haven't had access to that yet, so I won't spoil anything except to say I think it was a perfect ending. It was clever. It does everything I want, so I highly recommend that people watch it and are just blown away as well. This scene is a classic example of blaming a woman for something which is not her fault. Um, and I think it's just done so well because this just feels like a real conversation. And this is from episode five. You didn't have a problem when I took a drink from you and you're a drug dealer. You are fucking so, well, Don't accept drinks from anybody apart from drug dealers. That's smart. Why are you talking about me? Why are you talking about me? You're the me? one that just said I was fucking up your life. Yes, Bella, because I have to go to the station and do this shit. I've already told you. I'm sorry. You will how the fuck do you think I feel with you telling me I've done something wrong? Telling me there's something wrong with me? Telling me Bella, what? If you washed your drink. If I what? If you washed your drink, you wouldn't have been raped. I want to talk to you again. This scene is powerful and because it highlights that stereotype, which is that women should be responsible for their behaviour, what they look like looking at their drinks the whole night, when really the truth is men should not be drugging women and raping them. 
Uh, which is the conceit of why I May Destroy You and doesn't really spoil anything because unfortunately this all happens in the first episode. Um, but the way Michaela writes this scene is... Uh, there's humour in it. She's still laughing. The character is still laughing through the tears. And I cut off the bit at the end, which is where she heave cries. It's so distressing and didn't want to put everyone through it. But it's just great writing, truthful and honest and it needs to be out there so people can be confronted by these stereotypes and try to change them. So I absolutely love this. Please watch I May Destroy You. You will not regret it. And so we're at the end of my first Loathe Like Love, and I think I spent too much time on the Loathe, so take from that what you will. I'll try and do better. Thanks very much for listening. I'll try and make more of these, and let me know if there's anything you want me to particularly talk about or that you loved by emailing or tweeting at us. Uh, and look on beyondbechdel.com for more information on all of our episodes and how to get in touch. Thanks for listening. Bye.